Hello all you seekers, explorers and renegades out there. Welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. I suppose it is curious that we've been uh, broadcasting and publishing for two years now, or over two years, and uh, we haven't done an episode on mindfulness yet. But fret not, here we are. The concept of mindfulness is quite simple, but the execution and the mastery of it is a lifelong pursuit. And even though it can take a lifetime to master the aspects of mindfulness and not even then perhaps even have come to the level of mastery, just the practice of uh, mindfulness will bring so many joyful and beneficial aspects into your life that it doesn't really matter if you get to that level of mastery. It's, uh, it's the practice and the journey in itself that is going to really create a base for you to experience life from a completely different uh, perspective. Hopefully today's discussion you will gain some insight to further explore the concept of mindfulness for your own self uh, and for setting up your own practice or uh, perhaps gain some insights that will help you evolve your existing practice. So let's dive right in. Enjoy. It's the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Uh, This was uh, minted quite a few years ago by Aristotle uh, in his uh, work Metaphysics. Um, And uh, before we started recording here, we had a conversation about uh, different people's beliefs about uh, certain things uh, in in our reality. So this uh, turned out to be a very very uh, poignant <laughs> quote. But since we're today talking about mindfulness, I wanted to bring this quote into light because um, if we look at mindfulness in terms of the definition, there it has evolved over time. And uh, I think we throw the term mindfulness around quite freely. And it's a, it is a... Uh, concept that you know is quite in vogue at the moment and has been for a couple of years at least but if we look at the terminology that aristotle is using here the the mark of an educated mind um, i would uh, probably venture to say well let's not call it educated let's call it uh, percepted or a mind ready to see or be, uh, to perceive. Um, and it's, I, I think education in, in, in this term of uh, mindfulness is practice. So it's not necessarily to, to put ourselves uh, through uh, reams and reams of books, but rather uh, time spent uh, being mindful that we can uh, then release ourselves from the uh, expectation of being right or uh, detaching from the aspects of that kind of ties us down to these belief systems uh, without being able to see other people's belief systems and have empathy for others uh, other people's experiences so when i kind of looked at different uh, definitions of mindfulness. I went on and I kind of picked one from America and one from the UK. 
Um, so the National Health Service here in the UK defines mindfulness as mindfulness involves paying attention to what is going on inside and outside ourselves moment by moment. Now, the American Psychological Association uh, says that mindfulness is awareness of one's uh, inner uh, internal states and surroundings. And of course, I have to throw my own definition in here as well. So we'll uh, put that into the mix and we'll see what we can bring, kind of twist out of it at the end uh, when we're coming up with the uh, the the final, well, not the final, but a, a good <laughs> definition of it. I I can put the um, to me mindfulness is observing one's experiences moment to moment while fully present within oneself. So, not entirely different from each other, but there are some uh, nuances that are, are different, I suppose. So for me, it's really about observing our uh, one's experiences. So we take ourselves out of, or first of all, we have an ability to perceive ourselves from different perspectives uh, so that we can view our uh, experiences from our awareness as opposed to being stuck in our head. Um, and that we are, it allows us to be fully, it allows us to be fully present in, in our experience and in that uh, being able to observe those experiences. Um, and it's all being, seeing it from within ourselves. So we're looking at the world outside ourselves from the perspective of uh, are uh, in, inside ourselves. Um, and we are able to also reflect on ourselves uh, in that uh, reality construct that we uh, exist within. And becoming mindful beyond meditation is the purpose of the practice. So I get the question a lot of times, well, I'm sitting in meditation, but, you know, is this something I can bring uh, to my everyday life? Yes, absolutely. The whole point is that we practice it in meditation when it's quiet and we've kind of shut down our external sensory perceptions. So we, we are in this stillness, if you like, so that we can recognize it and we can practice to uh, be in that state so we can bring that into our everyday life and start being mindful in these situations where we would normally uh, react uh, from our core wounding and be stuck in our heads and really not be in control of how we show up in life. And one book that, and I'll for those that are on video here in the live recording, uh, I'll hold up a book that is, to me, in a way, the the one book to read on the topic, and it's The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Um, and it is one of these books that I personally have uh, on my bedside table. Well, now it's in my, <laughs> in my bookshelf here, but uh, normally I would have it on my bookside table. And it... First time I read it, I couldn't understand any of it. Second time I read it, 
yeah, starting to kind of uh, loosen up a bit. Uh, third time I read it, it was like, yes, I, this I've now experienced. And that was over the span of three or four years that I kind of read the book uh, those times. Um, and mindfulness is really about that. It is an experiential practice. You won't get it until you actually practice it. And when you practice it and you get there, then you'll go, ah, yes, I have experienced this before. But you might not be able to, you might, or you might not be able to, uh, sitting here today, if you don't have a concept of mindfulness, say that, oh, yes, I remember that time I was mindful. It is something that we, well, first we we define it and then we say, okay, this is how I've experienced it. But I think once you you move into that state of mindfulness or uh, state of being mindful, that you go, ah, this is what it's about. Now I can feel it. Now I experience it. And like I said before, it is moving our perception out uh, moving our perception of our experiences from the head and external stimuli to a better vantage point. Now, whatever that vantage point might be, it could still be on your head, but you've taken yourself out of uh, the external stimuli. So you oftentimes when we when we're stuck in our head, we get the words come into our head, it triggers something. And before we know it, we are reacting from a old pattern or old habit or uh, core wounding or what it might be. Uh, so say it's someone says something that uh, triggers anger within us, we, we immediately go out on the defensive. As opposed to moving our awareness to a vantage point where or perception of uh, the experience that we notice the words coming in and we notice the trigger and we can go, hmm, interesting. I have anger coming up within myself and then choosing how we react to the trigger. That's the difference between being stuck in your head and being uh, being mindful of your experience. So now some of you might say, ah, oh, that I've experienced, right? Um, but that is, in my case anyway, that took a lot of practice. That wasn't done overnight. Um, many, many times, many hours sitting in meditation. And I think unless you have a natural propensity for it, I think meditation is really the only way to get there. Uh, and to be able to practice that observing yourself. Um, but if anybody has a, a different point of view of that, I'll be happy to entertain it, of course. And uh, I'd love to hear how you've done it. Um, so when we're looking at the 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 practice, it, and there are, there's uh, proof and science, scientific studies that have been done, done on this, quite a few actually, uh, that the mindfulness practices remodels the structure of our brain. It actually physically changes our brain. It, 
over time. And it, it is that neuroplasticity that changes. Uh, so we, what happens physically in our brain when we have our habits and our patterns is that the uh, neural pathways develop in a certain way and the neurons are get used to kind of, or it's kind of path of least resistance. They get used to going a certain way. So for example, if something uh, you've told yourself that a certain experience uh, equates fear and you experience that often enough that without even thinking about it, knowing about it, uh, you have that experience, it's going to evoke fear. So say that is uh, going fast in a car. Some people might find that very uncomfortable um, and it automatically triggers a sense of fear. Now, the interesting thing is the brain doesn't know the difference between excitement and fear. It's the race driver going fast in a car that's the most exhilarating fun thing they could ever come up with, right? So how do you do that? How do you move from, or what is the difference rather between the person being fearful of going fast and the race driver loving nothing better than to go fast? It, it becomes their life. It, you know, they can't live without it, right? And it really is a matter of perception. So as we, uh, you know, you can then train yourself to like going fast in a car. And you can rebuild your brain to react to it in a different way. And that's really about re uh, redrawing those uh, uh, neuropathways. Uh, neuro um, so it's that neuroplasticity. And it's, we can change that. And that's what you're doing when you're uh, you're working with mindfulness. You're instead of being working on instinct, you are allowing yourself to take control over how you react to things, and that's the process. And it's learning the many things we are, not only our thoughts, right? So. We have the famous, uh, famous uh, saying that I think, therefore I am, right? That to me, to a certain extent, Im implies that we are our thoughts, uh, which is, in my experience anyway, very far from truth. truth. You can experience yourself from many different ways. You can be fully within an emotion and then that emotion is you. You can be fully within your thought, and then that thought is you. Or you can observe it all happening around you, then that awareness is you. Now, it's not that one, only one thing, one of these things is you, it's all you. It's just different aspects of you. It's the same thing as the child version, uh, the five-year-old with a limited concept of uh, you know uh, unique thought that's also you and it's all uh, how well integrated are you in all of these different aspects of yourself are you fragmented are you 
uh, in alignment with all, all of these aspects? Are you, like Carl Rogers says, are you congruent within your organ organismic self, your ideal self, your uh, uh, and your self-perception? So there's a lot of different parts of you that are you. Now, from what perspective do you, when you ask yourself the question, who am I? What is the answer that comes up? Now, it's not necessarily the answer that comes up that is the uh, important thing. It's about pursuing the question. Because you will come up with different answers at different times, depending on how you're experiencing yourself. And it's being able to incorporate all of those different aspects of yourself into the the uh, the idea of yourself now i think a lot of people that spend a lot of time uh, reflecting on the question who am i will branch out even further and when we are looking at all of these aspects of ourselves it's it's discovering one after another and we you know you can find yourself uh, discovering past lives if you are open to that. You can experience higher versions of yourself, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But for the purpose of being mindful, it's really about just starting to perceive your experiences from that perspective of your awareness. So some of the key factors I've found, in a way, in being able to become uh, mindful of my own uh, experiences uh, is, and I'll give you a list here. Uh, first of all, it's looking at not judging. So we're practicing non-judgment, having curiosity, playfulness, existing in a higher vibrational state. So gratitude, acceptance, love, etc., and shifting the point of awareness. And we'll go through these a little bit here to kind of clarify them and uh, understand why they are important for us to experience mindfulness and to become mindful. Now, if we judge ourselves or others, we are doing so from a perspective of defense or coping mechanism, however you want to uh, see them from kind of what experience you're having. But in order to open up to the various experiences in life, we don't, if we don't judge our experiences, then we allow them to happen quite freely. And we accept them as part of being us. So now we are opening up to, well, you know what? I'm uh, having this sensation in, uh, I have tension in my left hip. Okay, that's an experience. Now, perhaps I uh, did something stupid. I tried to lift something too, uh, too heavy or something like that. And perhaps I'm saying, well, I'm just going to try and ignore this pain because it's uh, just bothering me. Well, then you're, then you're not experiencing yourself from a perspective of, okay, well, I had this experience and that's fine. 
And I'm not, uh, if you're not judging yourself from it, then you allow yourself to just have that experience. You're not shunning it. And that comes also when we are talking about emotional pain, which we are more likely to shun. So if we are shunning any given experience that we have, we are going to shun those emotional experiences as well. And that's when we tend to push things down and we tend to uh, suppress our experiences. So this is very important to not practice non-judgment so that we can allow ourselves to experience whatever is served up for us to experience. Curiosity. And if we move into meditation with curiosity, it opens up a landscape of experiences through our, uh, through our uh, imagination. And in my experience in a way, it's a great pity that as adults, we lose much of our imagination. I remember being a child and you could sit there and daydream and you'd have the most amazing experiences just in your head. Uh, I think most adults and uh, perhaps those that are artistically uh, inclined or in artistic professions uh, tend to retain more of that. But I know for one, I've, uh, I've had to redevelop my, um, my, my uh, curiosity and my sense of uh, uh, imagination. And it's, if you can't imagine it, then you can't experience it. Right. So having that curiosity and that willingness to experience your imagination is uh, is very important because uh, anyone who's uh, in the psychometry classes uh, that I teach will know that I'm talking about all the experiences and allowing the experiences to reveal themselves to us. And if we don't have that curiosity and imagination around it, they're not going to be able to communicate in a colorful way. So, and that's the same thing with mindfulness. If we are experiencing an emotion, perhaps it's not going to tell you right away, I, this emotion is this. But it might come reveal itself in colors or shapes and whatever it may be. And if we're open to that, then that that can give give the um, experience a, a more full, more richness, and you can have be able to go through without um, so much suffering as it were. And that's at the end of the day, mindfulness is about having the experience without suffer, without suffering. You know, an emotion can be painful, but we don't have to necessarily suffer for it because if we're perceiving it from a different perspective or we see it from a different perspective, then the suffering might not be so uh, severe. Um, playfulness, again, that comes back to imagination. If we play with the 
the experience of mindfulness uh, and don't take it so seriously. We tend to take ourselves very seriously, like how I show up in life and you people judging and uh, being fearful of uh, judgment and so forth. Um, if we can allow ourselves to be playful, we can remove those fears and we, we just say, it's okay. I'm going to show up the way I feel is okay. And, you know, if people judge me for it, then that's on them. And that's okay. Because there'll be people that appreciate me for, me for my playfulness. And um, it's, it's just having that, I suppose, acceptance of yourself. And unless you know yourself, you might not be able to have that acceptance. So mindfulness is also about getting to know yourself. Again, it's recognizing all the aspects that you are. And the more you are able to perceive yourself, the more you can accept yourself, the more you can love yourself, and the more you respect yourself, and the better your boundaries are going to be. Higher vibration. So it comes down to flow of energy as well. If we resist the flow of energy through our bodies, and we, so we are resisting experiences, we are resisting different perspective or points of view, perhaps. Uh, if we are triggered by something that often is uh, something that we resist seeing within ourselves, uh, an unhealed aspect of ourselves, perhaps. Uh, and that means there's a stagnation or uh, a prevention of flow of that energy. Now, if we are in lower vibrations, anger, bitterness, shame, guilt, and so forth, it's almost like we're putting in, if you think of uh, electrical energy, it's like putting in rocks in the... Uh, uh, in the an energy system or the meridian system in your body, uh, the energy is not going to conduct very well, right? It's not going to flow very well. So what we want to do is we want to wire the body with copper uh, in that comparison anyway. So the copper is going to be those higher vibrations, love, acceptance, forgiveness, uh, enlightenment, and so forth. And once you can do that, and I think anybody recognizes when you feel that anger, you feel tension or shame and guilt, you feel tension in your body and you feel restricted, you feel constricted, right? But when you're feeling love, you're feeling accepted, you feel that you accept or life flows much easier and you feel that expansiveness within yourself and you you feel relaxed, you feel it all flows, right? So these are things that we can, energy we can experience very freely in the physical body. So if you are in that highest state of mind or highest state of uh, vibration uh, and that energy flows much easier, you're not going to be restricted in the, your perception of yourself. So it all interlinks with all the other key factors are brought about here. And the last one, shifting points of your point of awareness. 
And as I've said many times before, we tend to be stuck in our heads. When we are stuck in our heads, we work on that kind of pragmatic and uh, analytical mind, the uh, was it the right uh, right part of the brain, yeah. Um, and we we pay attention. We we just take that external stimuli, and that's all we base our experiences on. So it's all what happens on the outside. We ignore the internal experiences because we have been conditioned in our societies to everything on the outside that's what's important because we got advertising we got uh, social media we got what people are telling us we got religion we got laws we got all of these things around us and that are demanding our attention to begin with so we are conditioned to only pay attention to what happens outside of ourselves. And now suddenly we, when we go inside and we start being mindful, we realize that, ooh, it's nice and quiet in here. Ooh, actually, once I accept my thoughts and I accept my experiences and I just let it be, it actually is quite calm and peaceful in here. And that's the state that we can then bring into our daily life that we can we which start choosing what we bring into our perception so when we looking at the practice of mindfulness we of course meditation is the center point in the practice that's where you start in order to close down all those uh, outside uh, stimuli or inputs as it were so that you can just sit with yourself. And really it's about just breathing. If you haven't meditated before, just breathing. Just observe your breath. And observe it from a different perspective. So perhaps you bring your awareness to your elbow and perceive your breathing from there. Or you move it into your heart space, into the middle of your chest. And it's about perceiving yourself from a, from your awareness that when you experience that, you're going to start realizing that you can observe your thoughts and not be your thoughts. And to a lot of people, that's going to be a huge revelation. It's going to be the first time they've experienced themselves from a different perspective or intentionally done so at least. I think... Most people have experienced themselves from a different perspective, but not intentionally so. But when we do it with the intention and we can actually do it at will, it becomes so much more powerful. So I think once we have that process of, or kind of the practice of meditation, setting an alarm perhaps every hour just to take. 10 seconds, 30 seconds to uh, become present within yourself and just check in and say, hmm, how am I feeling now? How am I doing? How am I experiencing life? Am I, do I feel tightness? Am I constricted? Uh, how's my vibration? And it, it's not about you know, being able to go in and measure your vibration, but it's like your emotions will uh, 
tell you where you're at. So if you're feeling stressed out, that's a low vibration. If you're feeling flow, then that's a high vibration. So just checking in with yourself on an hourly basis will then allow you to become more aware of your own experience. And when we are moving through life, one of the things we want to be able to do is be present all the time. And I've heard people say, well, it's not really feasible to be present all the time because sometimes you be, want to be in your head or you, you want to analyze things. And I'm not so sure about that. And I'm happy to bring up a discussion about this. But I think, well, I feel rather that the analysis that takes place in the brain and way in my experience, that can then be sent down to my awareness. And then that becomes part of uh, kind of the intu intuition that I uh, use for my decision-making. But it's a subordinate factor to uh, to my heart space, if you like, or to my heart brain, um, to my intuition. So that when we are able to continuously just observe our own experiences, then we are and we are continuously mindful, then we are living a very different type of life than when we're stuck in our heads. And I think that's very feasible. And I, I suppose that's when you get to that stage of uh, self-actualization or enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. Um, when you've uh, reached a point where, you know, you are, you, you're not, but oh, you're not. Uh, how shall we say it? Not bothered by all the minutiae life. You just allow everything to happen the way it, or you accept that things happen the way it happens. And you're still, of course, experiencing pain of uh, emotions, but you're not suffering from them. The results of being mindful, results of mindfulness, in my experience in a way, is that we remove ourselves from the idea of me, myself, and I storyline. We have these stories of me, myself, and I in our reality construct. And it's all about protecting that identity that we are. And I think once you have your identity ripped away from you or ripped apart, I think for a lot of people, that's when you have kind of an awakening that, you know what, <laughs> this whole idea of identity is not so important. And you that for some people, that is the first very powerful experience in mindfulness when you have that uh, ripped apart, as it were. Um, but if we can do that gradually, that's, uh, trust me, it's a far more uh, palatable <laughs> way of doing it. It's much nicer, much more gentle. So if we can gain an understanding of our identity in our reality construct as something that is 
not about how people perceive me. It's not about labels. It's not about, uh, you know, trying to uh, defend myself against everything that I quote unquote think is dangerous. Um, then we, we live a much more fulfilling and rich uh, experience. Uh, we detach ourselves from the outcomes. So the outcomes become less important and it's more about the journey. It's more about the experience to the outcomes. We detach ourselves from the expectations. So <clears throat> we tend to have these expectations on life and that oftentimes they're based on uh, our past experiences. So if we've had crappy past experiences, we tend to expect that if similar experiences coming up, that it's going to be crappy and we're going to have that negative perspective on it. Mindfulness will allow us to neutralize that past experience in terms of uh, re its reflection on uh, my present and future experiences. So the mindfulness then says, well, I know I had that crappy experience before, but it was because I perceived it in the way I did, and I don't need to do that going forward. I choose to now perceive it this way. So you release yourself from the expectation of uh, the experiences. And the same thing uh, with, you know, you might have had a positive experience. So now the few, if you're coming up uh, to a similar experience in the present or in the future, you're going to build yourself up to have these, uh, the same experience yet again as you did before. And it doesn't turn out that way. You're going to be wholly disappointed. So this is what it's about having this neutrality to towards the experiences and accepting them for whatever they are. And so we're detaching ourselves from those expectations. And this one is really important. We regain the control of our choices. Because when we are mindful and we are experiencing mindfulness, again, like I said before, it's we are able to perceive ourselves the, when the emotions come up or we were triggered or what happens, we can then decide how we react to those uh, triggers and experiences. And we can then decide how we perceive those experiences. And this is where I say, you know, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. The pain is going to be there, but it's how we perceive that pain. You can say, you know, I can go stub my toe on the uh, on the uh, on a, uh, the coffee table, and yep, the pain is going to be there. I can then run around, swear and scream and yell and you know experience the pain that way, or I can sit down and say, "Hmm, interesting. That is that is really sending these electrical signals up to my brain, and yep, it's uh, it's hurting." And so you're still releasing the energy or the experience out from yourself, 
which it's all about really. Um, so, but there are two different ways of doing it. Now, uh, neither one is right or wrong. It's just different ways of doing it. I would prefer to be able to do the second one because I'm not sending out this angry energy into the world. And if I can have that perception on it, I can have that perception on other types of pain as well, emotional pain or uh, experiential pain. But it's as long as we have the awareness that we have a choice, then that's very powerful. If we know that we choose how we uh, choose to control, um, choose the control within ourselves, I choose how I think, I choose how I uh, speak, and I choose how I act, that then becomes very powerful in our own experiences. And lastly, it does remove our fear. When we become mindful, we, we, and we get a different perspective on ourselves, and people often talk about, you know, we're all one and the same, we're all part of the same collective consciousness, and so forth and so forth. And yes, and that's, that is oftentimes what you experience when you become, uh, when you practice mindfulness, because you start, the differences start eroding, and you start feeling other people and you start feeling uh, more part of the collective as opposed to this kind of uh, insular uh, individual, uh, physical individual. So you, you're much more than your physical. So the, the whole idea of uh, fear starts to dilute. And then the whole idea of fear of death starts to dilute as well. Because that's essentially, at the end of the day, what fear is all about. The fear, the fear we have is fear of dying. So any fear that you experience is going to, if you kind of develop the conversation, you say, okay, I uh, say I have a trigger that someone says to me, oh, you can't do anything right. And that triggers fear within me. That fear is about clearly about what that person thinks about me. So it's a judgment from someone else. But in the uh, extension of it, the fear is, well, if that person doesn't like me and they, that person is of power within the community or the family and they don't think I can do anything right, then perhaps they will shun me from the group and in the animalistic or the animal brain, uh, my thinking is, well, if I am not part of the group, I'm solitary, I'm not going to be able to survive because we're, our brains are still in the wild in <laughs> cavemen, cavewoman times. Um, and so therefore, uh, if, I, if I'm shunned, I won't be able to survive, I'll die. So that's the, the, the thinking. So the fear is always based on the fear of death and the need to survive or the desire to survive. I, I love it, what you're saying. It's really, really amazing. And um, thank you so much, first of all, for doing it for us and having me in this group. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
um, I I don't know if you allow me. I express my my view. Absolutely, uh, that's what we're here. <laughs> uh, you know, um, listening to all this, like you know, the the fears and thought, and you just said like, you know, the caveman time, like the old uh, ways of thinking, and so it's just some, something pop up, like what's happening right now in the current affair. If you don't mind, just like you know, my personal thoughts. No people, people as, don't have as long as we as long as we don't get political, religious, or anything like that, I'll be uh, happy to entertain it. Yeah, it's like you know what's happening right now. Let's say uh, in order to in in the UK, right? Mm-hmm. Like with the with the whole thing of have a king and and the queen. So what I was thinking, like we are in 2022, and um, like. Is it like people have fear of like saying what is like, you know, what is supposed to be like, why we're so stuck with the old tradition and old ways when it's not serving any anything. And I personally feel like, you know, a lot of money being wasted on people's tax money on their luxury and lives. What do they bring really? Like if being a king, what, what they serve to the community, to the country. And, and this time when like, you know, you were getting a new iPhone, right? You don't use those flip phone anymore. How come in in very, very important aspect of the government, they still follow the kings and queens? I, I don't understand like why. To me, uh, I, I feel this very old kind of like, you know, um, with, the, with the respects kind of rubbish tradition that we should not follow. But I feel like maybe people a lot of don't like it, but do the people have fear? They don't express their themselves like, you know, that, hey, listen, listen we don't, this is not needed. It's a waste of money, waste of resources, you know, waste of everything. Let's just have a clean, clear, uh, a democratic government that everywhere, you know, any modern society um, kind of like encourages. So I, and then especially with the respect, like, you know, I don't have any, anything against uh, Mr. Charles, but I feel like now if he's king, whatever he did, like in his marriage, that's an infidelity. Like, how can we have a king? What what value is going to bring to the nation, to the even like to to the universe? Like, you know, we are part of this whole modern world. And well, why, don't, why don't we why don't we take that and we we kind of expand it out a little bit and we can look at the it's really a, uh, the fear fear of change, right? It's yeah, yeah. That's what's what the baby. Yeah. So it's. It's about looking at changes in society, mm. right? And oftentimes, and it is, it comes down to a cognitive bias called uh, loss aversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really about what we have experienced and what we are experiencing. It's giving up on that. A, whatever new is going to come that we're unfamiliar with is far scarier than what we are experiencing. Even if it's, t- we, we have suspicions that it's going to be a hundred times better. And that's why dictators and, uh, you know, bad democracies or whatever you want to call them or, uh, you know, uh, religions, uh, uh, they they do persist because it is what we know. 
and mm. as a collective we it's difficult to let go of those things that we know so well and also that you know we've invested a lot of time in you know we've had at least on this side of the pond in europe we've had uh, kings for uh, you know thousands of years right yeah so, it's a caveman thing right the, the kings used to rule but my my point is okay enough is enough now people are more educated is is 2022 do we still need it is it still needs to be there is unnecessary thing you know how we 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 go to well, the modernism with new stuff yeah it yeah well, I, th- it, I think it's, 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 it is a it's, religious yeah mm-hmm. exactly it's it's no different than religion or you know no but but see my thing is like okay if it's a religion what value person is going to bring like a pope right the pope mm-hmm. is not going to go start committing something bad and he still will be a pope right there will people will get rid of him but if somebody like what value he will bring to a nation my concern is like you know how people will be if somebody is leading has more moral values in his you know personal life he could do when he was married whatever and now he is a king i'm sorry but you know this is a reality and we should be we should not have fear when i'm taking this lecture from you i should not have fear of expressing my thoughts that's honest and then, and that's the reality and people should be able to say it why do they have fear like being getting arrested people will come after why because i'm that's the reality like you know what i mean so people well, like, i th- i think it's it's the in a lot of things i think it's the same reason you know in america you have uh, uh, the flag is very sacred and it's the presidency uh, has the same it's that it has that unifying uh, aspect to it uh, which people it gives people uh, a sense of pride a sense of uh, protection and uh, it allows people to come together under one uh one point if you like so until we are at the stage of growth and development that we we see this as natural with, uh, that we see ourselves as a natural part of the collective we are going to have you know nationalism we are going to have royalty or monarchs and we are going to have uh you know uh, flags and all of these different things that that identify <laughs> us as being part of something else and or again, old, or old school people <laughs> yeah exactly but uh, same thing I, i saw quite a funny <laughs> meme the other day um i think it said something like uh, yeah there are five uh 5000 different gods and goddesses in the world and yeah absolutely yours is the right one mm. right so religion has the same purpose it unifies those that are followers of one religion under one kind of dogma or teaching or what have you and it gives them a, a sense of belonging it gives them a sense of uh, connectedness now if we could move into if we practice mindfulness we can then move into feeling that with anybody we can feel that connectedness with humanity as a whole right so i don't But think it's it have to be like productive and beneficial 
like what benefit let's say right now there's so much suffering like you know the whole ukraine has been bombed what the princes and queens have done for the you know the universe to have a peace is it only for them for their own backyard or they have to also be concerned you know how they can help the humanity in the world well <clears throat> i'd like to steer the conversation away from the whether we should have monarchies or not uh, because i don't find it useful the, for the purpose of understanding mindfulness but it is useful to have the discussion you know why we find ourselves tied to them uh, tied to you know these different groups i mean it could be i'm swedish uh, by birth so uh, and i'm i live in the uk but i don't have uk citizenship but my kids definitely feel more they grew up here in the uk so they they feel british uh, if anything um so when i watch soccer or football for example you know i i do get that feel at least when i watch the world cup or euro cup or something i get a proud feeling when sweden wins and i get a sad feeling when they lose i really couldn't care one way or another about football but it's just innately you feel that because you have that it's so strongly uh, imprinted in, in within us this sense of cultural identity and being part of that tribe mm. uh, so if that is you know whether it's a flag or it's a monarch or it's a, a football team or whatever it is that is unifying the tribe then that creates protection for the tribe because then mm. the 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 sense of belonging becomes stronger and it's the same thing you go to you know schools that they wear uniform to create a sense of belonging at least here in the uk so it's once we we once we're able to move into a state of being mindful in that in those that idea of the tribe then we can un- we see ourselves from a different perspective and you we can start moving into saying you know what it's okay if i am different than the tribe because i uh, it's all fluid and i can move to different tribes you know people come and go and it's okay uh, it's we we move ourselves out of this idea that it's it's so important to be within this tribe uh, so nasfa uh allow me to ask you a question perhaps give me an example of the group that you feel a strong sense of belonging to uh and no i have no problem of, like you mean group of what like uh uh do you practice reiki for example do you have a, a, a yoga group that you go to or do you have a group of friends that you some sort of a tribe that you belong to if you like well i like more like spirituality you know to mm-hmm. enhance to to enhance my spirituality to do yoga and like to do do more meditation okay so are there do you have a, a yoga class that you go to regularly i um i used to but now i started this mind valley and i'm taking all those meditation that they have 
Okay. And I, I yeah, and I love so, it. Kind of so fun. you met a lot of people through Mind Valley, right? Yeah, I did. I, okay. I it too, yeah. Yeah. So you you feel a sense of belonging, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that makes you feel safe, doesn't it? It does. It does, and yeah. I love it. It's you know, it's like uh, how you guys do this, offer this, like every day. There's something live going on. And I feel like, wow, that's that's amazing. Like you comfort of your own home, you can be with the like-minded people. You know, it's so amazing. Well, and that's the whole point, isn't it? It's yeah. It's being part of something that you believe in. It's part of being something that is uh, makes you feel safe, makes you feel whole. Yeah. Um, and that's anyone, and and that's where I wanted to kind of bring it back to show you that. Our experience with that is no different than someone being in a, uh, you know, being Catholic, uh, practicing Catholic or Muslim or uh, a monarchist or whatever it is. It is something that makes them feel safe and have a sense of belonging. So, mm-hmm. in order, when we're practicing that mindfulness, we we can allow everybody to have their own experiences. And it's okay for them to feel that way. I don't need to feel that way, but it's okay for someone else to feel that way about that particular group. I feel this way about this group, uh, so therefore I'm go. This is how I feel there. They might not agree with that, and they might actually judge me for it. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's having once you move into that idea of yourself as uh, an accepting person of someone else's judgments but uh, but not having judgments yourself then you move yourself out of that fear because i don't fear anybody else's judgment does that make sense yeah definitely so i thank you for bringing that up nasva and it's thank even, you. even though it's it's a you know controversial topic once we kind of expand it out and we start looking at it. Yes, the, the topic itself might be up for discussion. This is not the forum for it, obviously, but that, you know, you can look at any any uh, uh, type of uh, government, you know, is democracy the way it's being done today? Is that the right, uh, uh, right way for us to govern ourselves? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... It, but being able to say, you know what, I accept that this is the experience I'm having right now and the, the experience I am within right now and being able to observe how I react to it and how I think about it and how I speak about it and knowing that I can choose how I perceive it, mm-hmm. that becomes then uh, really strongly a part of that process. Because once I know that I have a choice, I can choose to either leave the experience. So if I don't like monarchs, <laughs> I can move to a republic somewhere um, or go and create a republic somewhere. Um, or I can change my perception about it. Mm-hmm. Or I can change everybody else's perception about it. So mm-hmm. perhaps I become, you know, if I don't, like the monarchy, then I can go and uh, become, uh, you know, 
Republican yeah, and uh, start, uh, <laughs> you know, actively trying to change society. Mm -hmm. uh, those three choices I have. But right. I don't need, if I do it in a way that is going to, where I bring judgment into the process and I'm not being mindful in it, then I'm just going to be part of the problem. Mm. Because then I'm going to be part of creating that division. I'm going to. So I think it was uh, Mahatma Gandhi who said, don't go out and change the things you don't like. Actually change uh, things to what you want to see. Be the change you want to see in the world. But yeah. the, the effect is that you want to see, you want to go out and change, make changes in a way that is leading to a better world, not taking away from whatever the world is now. Right? Yeah, so that, definitely. Yeah, uh, you'll be able to. So it's all about uh, removing the judgment from our experience, um, mm -hmm. whether that being judgment of ourselves or others. Mm -hmm. Right. Got it. I appreciate that, Nasva. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Really <clears throat> Thank you. So, looking at some of the tools that we can use in mindfulness um, is to have, like I said before, we can have these ch scheduled uh, check-ins, and as we go throughout the day, take moments and just be aware of your breath and just follow your breath. So uh, there's a book by James Nesta, I think his name is. Uh, he wrote the book Breath, a really good book. I can strongly recommend it. And ever since I read that book, I've been trying to breathe through my nose, from my stomach, and notice that breath. So want to have uh, five and a half seconds on the in-breath, five and a half seconds on the out-breath. And being able to take moments, you know, in the beginning I had to think about it every 10 minutes to change my breath and become aware of my breath. And that was just a moment to become present in my body and be with my breath. And it was beautiful. Now it's it's more, I'm more aware of it. It's, uh, well, I'm not more aware of it, but my breathing has changed. I've, I've re reprogrammed the way I bra uh, breathe. So my breathing is uh, happening from the stomach and it's going through, uh, in and out through my nose. And I can notice when I'm not doing it because my stomach gets tight and I feel more constricted and the the anxiety starts building up. So it's really effective. So that's, I just want to recommend that book to you. Uh, Breath, it's called. Um, so just follow the breath is a very simple tool to stay mindful or to become mindful. And when, when you're doing check-ins, perhaps pay attention to textures, colors, smells, shapes, things around you. Touch things, feel things, you know, go up to a tree and just feel the leaves or the bark or, because that will bring you fully within your body. We have a tendency to 
kind of want to escape out of our body when things get too constricted and uh, too painful. Um, and a way to bring ourselves back and become mindful is to be aware of our, our surroundings and interact with them. So interact with the colors, smells, your, your experiences. But you're not doing that from a judgmental point of view where you are judging something beautiful or ugly or whatever it may be. You're just taking it in. Uh, so you're not, again, you're not stuck in your head experiencing it. You're just taking it in. You're experiencing it viscerally uh, with your whole body. It's this whole uh, wholeness approach to it. Um, if you want to learn about raising your vibration, uh, study uh, Dr. David Hawkins and uh, his theories of uh, uh, the vibration of emotions. And it's really, again, checking in with yourself and saying, how am I feeling? And why am I feeling this way? Because that will then allow us to change. If my thought process is dark, then I can say, okay, why am I thinking this way? Do I need to think this way? Can I choose to think a different way? And it's not about uh, shunning or kind of suppressing you want to evoke those feelings or you want to allow those feelings to uh, kind of pass through you. But there is no point in ruminating on negative thoughts, for example. You know, go into, if you are ruminating on something, break that cycle and say, okay, well, I accept and I acknowledge that this was what I was thinking. I will, and then you go in to allow that feeling that has brought, or you, you have in your body at that time, release that, and then allow yourself to control your thought pattern and just go and experience yourself and perhaps just direct your thoughts to understanding yourself better. Uh, Again, study and stay curious because that then allows you to become uh, – Once when you sit and read a good book, for example, you're, you're involved in something that you are passionate about, you go into that flow. And there's uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi uh, was the psychologist in the early 80s, I think it was, who from positive psychology brought this whole idea of flow. And I can recommend his book, uh, Flow, uh, which talks about really, and that's being, uh, it is about being mindful because you're present in what you're doing. You lose the sense of time. You just go into this trance state where you're just so involved in what you're doing. Uh, and you can experience that doing different things. I mean, if you're standing there doing dishes and you lose yourself in uh, in the process, that could be flow. Uh, flow. Um, you're doing something that is, you, you lose yourself within it. Um, and study can have that effect. And allowing yourself to stay curious as to 
your own growth and your how you can work with your own mindfulness and so forth will have that effect too. Uh, play is a big thing because again, if you're evolving, helping evolve your uh, your playfulness, your curiosity, your childlike wonder, you bring yourself back to that uh, imagination. You will then allow yourself to have a richer experience because now you're bringing that full force of the imagination in to play in your whole experience. And when you are out having experiences, say you're going out with friends or you are playing with your children, you're going on holiday, whatever it is, to be present within what you're doing. If you're getting worried about work, guess what? There's nothing you can do about it at that time, so release it. And that's one of the things you do in meditation is leaving your daily worries outside your meditation because there's nothing you can do about them at that particular time anyway. So be present in whatever you're doing. And then if there is something that is bothering you, Perhaps schedule time to think about or work, uh, kind of plan how you can work around that or work with that or sit and meditate on it. Acknowledge it, but choose your time. Choose when you are going to address that. So whatever you're doing, be present in whatever you're doing. Yes, as always, an amazing conversation. I would like to add like... Um... For years, I thought that um, meditation or like better myself spiritually required like a, a specific like type of action, like mm -hmm. meditating. I, I saw myself in a temple, like far away from life and isolation. But recently, surprisingly, I'm... I've been noticing that, for example, detachment. Mm -hmm. Detachment has always been very hard for me, but I'm f I'm learning about detachment more in capitalist system in America. Yeah. <laughs> Through a very like a different style of life than what I was like expecting, like if it would be my choice, and it's very surprisingly how everything is yoga. Or everything is meditation if you if you are aware. Yeah. So sometimes we don't have to be either, even the big person because part of our struggle it, it, it serves to a role, a collective role. Like so, accepting like a stressful life, like uh, lack of time, lack of distance like part of the process for me right now I'm experiencing detachment in a way that I never did before. And it's not mm. through the source that I thought I will learn it. So. And it's not, it's not, the, it's not detachment as disassociation. Like I don't care. It's mm -hmm. just accepting. Right. Yes. And I think that I love something you said about identity because I think we need to con we need uh, con a consensus to function mm -hmm. as a community. Mm -hmm. But um, be aware of the present moment 
is impossible through identity politics. Like you have to be mm -hmm. flexible to whatever your whatever is happening right now. You have to be open like a little child in a way, like. But oftentimes that community is demanding that you show up in a certain identity, doesn't it? Yes, yes, all the time. And then it's when detachment appear like, and responsibility. I think we have our actions should be based in responsibility. That's my, my personal choice. Mm -hmm. Like how, what I'm bringing in this table, like if it's not serving others and it's not serving myself, then I don't know what action to take. So uh, ideology and rhetoric, I'm a writer, I love that. But at the end of the day, it's about action and it's questioning the present moment, like in this specific like Zoom meeting, what is my role? And mm -hmm. um, listen to the body, the energy, is not only, it's not always here, like in the mind. And using our mind to recognize common reference frames to create consensus so we're able to communicate. We're functioning in English right now. But it's flex it's, we have to be flexible and open. And, and that's yep. not through identity politics. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think within that, well, as I said before, I, I don't think it, there's ever a time that one should function exclusively in the mind, but rather having the mind as a tool to uh, kind of take in external stimuli and translate it into something we understand and then bring that down into our awareness where we can use our intuition to make good choices. Um, and I think a lot of times we communities fail or we fail in communities because there is that people are stuck in their heads and they are judging based on their experiences uh, and are unwilling to see other people's experiences from their perspective. So. Uh, and uh, my children have certainly taught me this and that in order for me to be a good parent, the only thing I can do is to see their experience through their eyes because they're not little adults. Their brains are, my oh God, my kids are teenagers. Their brains are uh, going haywire at the moment, uh, you know, with puberty hormones and changes in their brain structure and all of that. So I have, I could of course look at them from an adult's perspective and say, stop being dis disrespectful. Of course I do that in my weak moments, but we're in the moments where I'm not mindful. Um, but when I turn around and I start looking through life through their eyes, how they perceive their reality, then it becomes a di very different experience for me. And that's being, when you are able to be mindful, then you are able to be empathetic. And when you're able to be empathetic, you're able to recognize the emotions and ideas within someone else, right? So yes, the, the whole idea of 
identity is being stuck within my confines of identity and what I consider being identity. Once I can release myself from that and see other people's experiences through their eyes, I can say, hmm, I don't need to know their story, but I can ask myself, what have they experienced in order for them to see the world this from this perspective? Because it all it's all through our past experiences that we look through the or the lens of our past experiences that we see the world when we're stuck in our heads. That is. Thank you for these conversations. I love them. Thank you, Tatiana. Thank you, everybody, for showing up today, as always, with your beautiful energies and your inquisitive minds. Uh, Remember to stay curious and playful and mindful, of course, and uh, take care in the the meantime. Bye for now. When we practice mindfulness, it's often about uh, course correction. So when you are going through your daily lives, it's about constantly observing yourself and seeing how you perceive your reality around you and shifting little bits of that into new perspectives. If you feel that you're failing, don't lose hope. It's all part of the process and it's all part of your growth into a mindful person. Well, that's it for this time. Don't forget to check us out at thealchemyexperience.co.uk and let us know if we can be of assistance in any way. Otherwise, we'll uh, hope that you have a wonderful time until the next uh, podcast release. Take care now. Bye for now.